Hey there, folks. What do you know? It's the Uticast episode 286. We are 10-ish shopping days away from Christmas and a special Christmas treat for you folks. Shay Brown, the marketing and PR specialist of the Innovare Advancement Center and the Griffiths Institute, joins us this week. Uh, also this week, we'll talk about a lot of the big news of the week, uh, COVID vaccines, uh, electoral college, we'll talk about the Cleveland Indians, no more, changing their name, a little bit of history lessons, uh, some funny news, and some interesting moments all over the world. Uh, also, some big energy, a little bit of I'm done with this guy, and we prepare ourselves for next week's Christmas episode, so get those Christmas mailbag questions into the pod, true believers. Uh, that's it. Let's get to this week's episode, folks. As always, we are ecstatic, happy, charmed beyond belief that you are here. Now, by the time you folks listen to this, welcome back to the show, folks. It's uh, episode 286. I, of course, am your host, producer, uh, Sam Familaro, joined as always by a man I'm referring to now as the Scourge of the Clergy, Kevin Sullivan, the Master mm. of Disaster. Mm. The Scourge. The Scourge. Well, I'll tell you what. I They gave me a badge uh, when I gave the money to the, the people on Google to become <laughs> ordained with heavy air quotes. Uh, they oh, gave me a badge man. that says clergy uh, with a parking pass. Yeah, so that's a good way to uh, get... Well, before I forget... Uh, Kevin and I are here. It is 10 days, 10 shopping days, not even nine mm. shopping days until Christmas. Uh, mm. We are rapidly down the barrel of the gun here on Christmas, which means that next week mm. will be our Christmas episode. I didn't even think about it, but ne- next week lines up for That's our crazy. Christmas spectacular. That's crazy. So this will be uh, just some quick updates. This will be our last episode with just like songs on the playlist that we like, just like picking tracks for the week. Oh, so we're probably gonna have to do Christmas next week. Christmas I've already, tracks. I have already started next week's Christmas track. Of course you list. have. Yeah, so we'll have to pick a number. But next week we'll do a super big Christmas podcast. I've always uh, respected your ability to prepare for things. <laughs> Thank really, you. like to make a plan to get out in front of it and to always know that you've got to like put it together like that. Uh, Wait it a just bit. my life is easier that way. I just because I'm scatterbrained otherwise. Seems that way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, next week, and then the week after that, we talked about it, we'll do our best of 2020 stuff we liked over the year from the different shows. Oh, okay. So, I see. I see. Uh, joining us this week on the pod uh, is the marketing and PR specialist from Griffiths Institute and uh, the Innovare Advancement Center that they have up there, Shay Brown, who we had a great time mm. talking to today. Uh, you know, I've got to give her some credit. A lot of times I talk to people in different jobs, right? Right. And you'd be stunned by how many people who work for businesses in like marketing or PR or like public relations firms mm-hmm. who don't have quite as much to say about their business or what they do as you'd think they would. I think I think it can be we take it for granted, right? We do this show every week and before this we've been musicians, we've been on stages, we've been mm-hmm. in different areas where to be public. I know you've performed yeah. in like mm-hmm. plays and stuff. 
Uh, the red light goes on, and when, when people start thinking about who might be listening, um, you know, even we were talking about that when I performed, you know, a wedding over the weekend over mm-hmm. Skype, and people were a little nerved out about, like, oh, yeah, people are going to be watching. It's funny. I wouldn't be nervous if they were here, but since they're going to record me and I'm going to cast. So some folks definitely, I think, do get nervous. So it's always nice when somebody comes on and just, you know, rocks it. No, but you guys will find out sooner than enough that uh, that Shay is a, is a rock star, and she mm-hmm. loved talking about uh, the Innovare Advancement Center, which I keep trying to say correctly. She told me the correct way to say it. Mm. It's supposed to be like Italian. Innovare. Yeah. That's pretty good. Innovare. See? I told her I was sort of offended. I was like, <laughs> I was like I'm mildly, mildly offended. Oh. Just a little tiny bit. Poor you. I'll tell uh, you what. My, no. heart goes, my heart goes out to Sam. I'd like to dedicate my performance on this week's show. A scusi. <laughs> a scusi. A permiso. Uh, all right. Also this week, I want to give a very, very special shout out to our maiden Utica friends, uh, Mark and Jill Simon, yeah, now, yeah, who were married to, over the weekend. You, yeah. as you mentioned, were the ordained minister in the room. It was, I, I mean, I don't think I'm a minister. I'm pretty sure I'm not a minister. Father Sullivan. And by ordained, again, I gave somebody $40 on Google, and they sent me oh, a takes. package of items. Oh, but yeah, I was the officiant. I did perform the wedding for those two. Um, yeah, it was great. How do you feel about doing that for people? It feels like a sort of a bad thing you've accidentally kind of backed into for friends and family over the last couple months You know, I, months I, got, I got started, and I started doing it for my sister when yeah. her wedding got scaled mm-hmm. down in May, obviously, because of COVID. Um, and now it's funny because, you know, you think about it, and it's not something where I'm out here actively trying to mm-hmm. get gigs, but because the year has gone on and people have continued to have weddings in this way... I found myself put into duty, and I was thinking about it. It's honestly, it's always it's always an honor when somebody mm-hmm. thinks enough of you to deem you worthy of being included and ask you to be a part of, you know, what's what's going to be one of the most special mm-hmm. days of their life. So I always take it as an honor, and you know, for people like Mark and Jill, who it was their ten year anniversary when I did it, yeah. and I've known those people for the entire time that they've mm-hmm. been together. So to be able to sit there and look yeah. and, and have that it's moment awesome. with them means a lot. So yeah, it's cool. Um, it's interesting, though. You, know, you put the pressure. I haven't had to do it in front of a large crowd yet. I'm sure I probably will at some point. But, you know, like we said, the crowd just go. Pretend they're not there. I don't worry about crowd. Just stare at us. Stare at one spot in the back of the room and talk to that. That's what I... That's, there you go. And perform to that. Yeah, I swear to God, that was Musical Theater 101. Mm-hmm. Because when you're on a stage for Musical Theater, most of the time, you're not mic'd. Not looking at you, dudes. I'm looking past you. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> so the key is you want to pick a spot as far back in the room as you can see, or right. somewhere, that you focus on and aim to, and everyone else will just hear it, right? Mm-hmm. That's a little trick. So is the fundamentals of musical theater part of your effort to keep this show shorter this week? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, honestly, I, I, here's the thing. We don't get a lot of pushback one way or the other. We could do two-hour shows. It's true. We could do hour and 20-minute shows. Mm-hmm. People don't really seem to have a preference one way or the other. It's true. Um, I just feel like... How, how much can you hear me talk? <laughs> how much can you listen to me? I know exactly what you mean. Talk. Um, I just want to do some very, very light house cleaning, though, before we uh, get into the show this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, there was some commotion this week in the Twitter mentions between some various friends of the podcast. Now, I'm not here to blow up their spot. All these people know who they are. Oh. Okay. Okay. Just some sort of, like, disagreements about... Uh, discussions. And I'm just going to say this. Disagreements about discussions, I see. I'll, I'll put this out here. I'm not going to name any names. You can go back and Twitter. I never, do, I don't delete stuff, so it's there if you want to go look at it. Sure. I am never going to blacklist somebody from this show unless they give me an actual reason. If someone has a point that you don't like and you don't want to discuss it, I would never like... The thing that was being discussed was something we discussed on the podcast as well. I have a dis... I don't agree with his opinion on this thing. But we can have a discussion about it, right? Like, it's okay. It yeah, of course. Yeah, I, 
I don't like the idea that anyone would ever we would ever blacklist anybody on this show or kick somebody off no. of this show for anything they said. I would oh, never no. do that. I would no, never of do not. that. Uh, the only exception is someone like Claudia Tenney who doesn't want to come on because she's blocked us. And I'm not, I'm, I would yeah, still no, have her on. she's not black, but please, if she's, again, if you're listening, anytime, yeah. come talk to me. And that's not even, yeah, exactly. That offer still stands. But, that, but that's a good point, too. Like, even that, like, there's, there's mm. very few pe- people I would ever, like, you know. Sure. Openly raci- racist scumbag people, like anyone who's in the Proud Boys yeah, is not coming on my will, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know, know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you mean, sure. But for the most part, like, I'm, I don't know, I just felt, people, I would... If you guys are having discourse on the internet, that's totally fine. I'm happy to do it. Please do not pull me into discourse that doesn't have anything to do with, with the show. That's fair. Uh, yeah. I didn't see it. I'll have to go back and do my research. But yeah. yeah no, I would I would never expect, you know, I don't, I, yeah. No, that's not, that's silly. Also, we need to stop taking Twitter so seriously. Yeah, we need to stop Yo. Twitter. This has got to be over, man. Social media's got to be done. It's the only way. Because I think that Twitter, you know, changes the, the tenor. Sometimes, you know, a Always. lot of, a lot of the Always. stuff that was discussed is something that, you know, we discussed on the on the podcast, mm-hmm. right? And it came off as just us having a conversation with different viewpoints on it, right? Mm-hmm. But when you go on to the dunk fest that is Twitter and you start getting all sorts of like side conversations and people pick up on one or two words or phrases and take it like it's 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 way too easy to raise the temperature on the rhetoric far too quickly. Uh, on Twitter and interacting with people like that. When it comes to serious stuff where if, if people are actually, you know, when people's emotions and feelings get involved and mm-hmm. things are starting to get actually heated, Twitter no longer becomes the forum and you've got to either disengage because uh, you probably shouldn't engage in the first place. So you got to either disengage or go to that person directly and have yeah. a conversation yeah. privately, yeah. whether that means call them, even whether that means DM them, whether that means, you know, mm-hmm. anything like that. I mean, stop. Yeah. I, I love all the people that we that follow the show. I love all the folks who chat us up and give us input about the show. And I love all the folks who are on the show and come and chat me up about all sorts of stuff they're doing. And I like keeping that open form of discourse with everybody, right? Mm. I like talking to folks. And that's all. Just saying. like chatting up with everybody. Okay? Mm. All right. Also this week, be nice to each other, folks. Twitter's not a real place. Be nice no, to each other. It's not at all. World's tough. Um, and also, again, this week, we will not be discussing any Claudia Tenney. Uh, Anthony Brindisi. Still doing the wild stuff. Uh, Correction stuff starts on Monday. I'll put it this way. Not next week for the Christmas episode, but the week after. I have somebody coming on specifically for the interview to talk about this and nothing but this. We will spend a good amount of time. We'll spend the whole interview breaking down all the stuff that's been going on. That's good enough for me, so let's just blow past it. Yeah, so that's your Christmas present for after Christmas. We'll have somebody coming on who can really break down all the stuff and we'll move on from that. Okay. Let's get into some topical stuff for the week. Uh, let's talk about coronavirus off the bat. Mm, uh, Kev, I haven't heard anything about this. What is it? <laughs> uh, the first coronavirus shipment, uh, vaccine shipments in the U.S. went out today uh, mm. to all 50 states. Mm. Uh, again, coming from their Kalamazoo, Michigan factory. Uh, shipments are expected to reach each state on Monday. Uh, began two days after the FDA authorized emergency use of the Pfizer drug. Uh, they're expected to arrive at 145 distribution sites across the United States. Another 425 uh, sites will receive shipments on Tuesday, and the remaining 66 will get them on Wednesday. Uh, vaccine off- offers much-needed hope in battling what has been a devastating crisis for the U.S. Kev, uh, how are you feeling about uh, the vaccine actually getting out to people, seeing reports of people taking it? I mean, yeah. You know, it, keep rolling. Well, I guess my question, is it too ex- 
should are we getting should we not get too excited that this is the light at the end of the tunnel or should we be excited that this is the light at the end of the tunnel uh th- it's never it's nothing nothing about the situation was ever just going to be a one and done right this is help this is helpful and hopeful and it's going to mm-hmm. take you know this isn't going to be instantaneous it's going to take a while to get everything out and get you know get everything going and everybody moving but yeah it, it feels very much like a like a sea change and a swell in the right direction you know what i mean this is a hopeful step but I don't think this step or any other step in the process will be one where there's a moment where it's like, all right, we've crossed the finish line, so mm-hmm. to speak. You know what I mean? Uh, on Tuesday, President-elect Joe Biden vowed that he would administer 100 million coronavirus vaccines and reopen most himself. schools. Himself. Personally. <laughs> uh, reopen most schools during his first 100 days in office while repeating his promise to mandate face coverings on airplanes, federal buildings, and other places under government control. This from today from Politico. Mm. Uh, new pledge comes in as Biden introduces his picks to lead key health agencies and coordinate federal response. Um, this is a direct quote from him. As the new president, I'm going to speak directly to the American people. We need your help. Wear a mask for 100 days. It's the easiest thing you can do to reduce COVID cases, hospitalizations, and death. Uh, Kev, what are your thoughts on the response here from President-elect Joe Biden? Uh, it, I mean, it. Does it feel like overkill to say that it's nice to look like we finally have a little bit of leadership and coherent federal strategy? No, I don't. Well, yeah, of course. It's great. It's... <laughs> well, because the other sp- response on the other side is reports come out earlier this week that the Trump administration has not once but twice rejected offers from Pfizer for more uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. vaccines, the second time as recently as November, according to the FDA administrator that came out earlier today. Uh, apparently, there were multiple conversations with the U.S. government about taking more supplies in the second quarter, uh, but the Trump administration rejected 100 million doses of the recently approved COVID vaccine over the summer, which essentially means we'll have to sort of wait to get a second run. Here's my question for you. If they actively wanted things with the coronavirus to go poorly for people the entire time, what would they have done differently? Because I can't see what would be too much different if they, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you're right. It's totally so, true. What would have been different if they did have bad intentions, say? I just, you would feel, it feels sort of off-brand, honestly, for the Trump to be like, oh, yeah, spend more money with a giant corporation, right? You'd think he'd want to just spend more money, right? He should get his cut. (laughs) It's not a cut for him, it's it's true. spending, it's just making. I actually don't have a ton of other Trump stuff today. Um, Because he's done. Well, (laughs) a great... A great point. So let's get into that. Uh, this is from an hour ago from Bloomberg. Uh, as of an hour ago, Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden, has captured electoral votes from all of the states that Trump contested. So for all those folks who are la- hoping for the faithless electors or some sort of secret coup, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, tough. That's been <laughs> that's been that's been Fantasy Island since November fourth. Hmm. I you know I don't. I don't know. I can't. I can't pretend that it's it's giving respect to take stuff like this seriously. You mm. know. So yeah. Uh, hopefully, uh, and this was what Senator John Thurn of South Dakota said: uh, the Electoral College will hopefully bring some finality to all of this. Kevin, my question for you: Do you no. believe? <laughs> no, I don't. No, I do not. Immediately, he says no. No, I do not. Uh, this is all part of a larger uh, thing that's been going on. Earlier this week, the Supreme Court rejected Trump's bid to overturn the election outright based on a lawsuit from texas yeah so texas correct me where i'm wrong here texas was suing to overturn the election of four 
other states that were not Texas. Not, so one gentleman specifically, I believe, an attorney general or maybe an yes. assistant attorney general from Texas was suing. Yeah, That's Ken good. Paxton. Yeah, Ken Paxton is uh, on his way to sentencing for fraud crimes, probably going to jail, this <laughs> yeah. guy. And he did this suit. And if you were a little more cynical and you thought people were acting in bad faith, you would say he did this to try to get the president to notice him so that he would pardon him for his crimes. Uh, so, do you but know... Yeah, sure, no, totally, voter fraud. So but also, when people say that there were 17 states, quote-unquote, uh, that signed in to do this, this lawsuit, yeah. two of the states, I think, really uh, require a little bit of extra uh, discussion. That is New California State. Oh, cool. And New Nevada State. So, not real state. So, a couple of fellas that own pieces of property near each other on a rural road. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, the New California New California State is, no joke, a real faction in Fallout. So, that makes me laugh extra hard. Like, oh, we're just really doing this end of the world faction. We're really making... Oh, man. There's been a lot of talk. Arizona Republican Party actually earlier this week put out a tweet that asked if uh, supporters were willing to die to overturn President Trump's election results. And I just got to I got to stop for a second. Okay. I don't care who you follow. You should never be willing to die for a political party. I'm sorry. I just don't think you should. I'm not willing to die for Joe Biden. No. I'm not just you know saying no. like I'm not willing to die for the Democrats. I'm willing to die no. for like my family and my friends, and that's about it, mm. right? That is really I'm not. So I, I don't understand what is this. It feels like a last dying croak of like people who thought that they had something coming that isn't coming to them. It feels like a kid who didn't get what they want for Christmas. I don't know what analogy you want to use, but I don't know. It's just there's such a disconnect, right? Yeah. I, I'm a Theoretically, from what people on the internet keep telling me, I'm a liberal Democrat, mm-hmm. right? And yet, I don't, I don't feel some sort of like gross attachment to the Democratic Party, like I live or die on what the Democratic Party does or, or does not or, do. Or furthermore, like you're told that you feel. Right. Right. Correct. So like, yeah, I, got, yeah, yeah. I got, I got, I was having a conversation with somebody, and it wasn't even like it was an argument. It wasn't anything. It was just you know that's different, different perspectives mm-hmm. certainly on some political things. And I just made a point where what I thought about something and why I thought that way, you know, what I'd seen, they're like, oh, well, you're just, you're just brainwashed by CNN, mm-hmm. they said to me. And I, like, I'm like, well, I haven't, I, I don't know, I don't even have cable, like, I don't watch CNN. Like, we, you think that I'm this person and think these things, but you gotta, you have to, it's always important in these times where everybody's disagreeing, don't assume you know what somebody thinks. Either side, too, if you're talking to, to your friends that think differently than mm-hmm. you or maybe voted differently than you. Never assume that you know what somebody thinks. Always give somebody the benefit of the doubt in telling you in a one-to-one mm-hmm. conversation what they actually think. Instead of, like, you see a lot of when somebody's speaking to their friends, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you have to answer for your entire group as a whole. And it's like, well, I'm one right. person who believes one thing. And Correct. I've only said what I've said. You know what I mean? I can't speak on what others have said necessarily all the time. I so. say it all the time. So just turn down the rhetoric, man. Turn down the temperature for everybody. I don't know how many times I say it. Life is about nuance. I know that people oh, always. I know that people want it to be like it's either this or that, but it's not and it never has been. It's always been about the middle ground. It's mm-hmm. always been about the nuance. That's the humanity. Right. That's the, the the part that makes us human beings, right? The mm-hmm. nuance of life. And I just think we've I don't know. And I don't say we, I just mean like certain aspects of society have sure. become so polarized that it feels like there is no right or wrong. 
Uh, there is mm. a wrong one. I've seen a lot of people saying they want to secede from the United States, mm, Texas wrong. particularly. No, you, do. <laughs> you do not. You have no idea. <clears throat> My favorite part about this was earlier this week, uh, HBO hit TV show Succession was trending on Twitter because of how many people were misspelling secession, which mm. really gave me a very... <laughs> I, really I, think, that. I think that really underscores <laughs> what we're talking about here. <laughs> Oh man! Where the real problem lies. Oh, uh, let's uh, let's see what else is on the docket this week. Oh, this is one that's been uh, I've seen earlier this week. Uh, earlier this week, in the Wall Street Journal, an op-ed came out by someone named Joseph Epstein, who was claiming that Dr. Jill Biden should drop the doctor from her name mm. because uh, because essentially because he was being misogynistic and kind of sex and shitty about. Uh, and he also was saying that education doctors shouldn't be using doctor in their name because she's a doctor of education and not a doctor of medicine. Right? So that's the argument. Now, I just want to throw this out here. The word doctor goes back to education before it ever was co-opted by medical doctors. Right? Yeah, the of idea of a doctor comes from yeah. a doctorate, which yeah. comes from teaching, which comes from education. Mm-hmm. So that's a terrible First argument. Of First, First of off, it's a terrible argument. Uh, but what are your thoughts? I've seen a lot of people talking about this, whether or not doctor, saying doctor in front of somebody's name when you refer to them. Uh, this is trash that should not be acknowledged mm-hmm. by anybody. Um, embarrassing that, that anybody even answers this guy and he has a platform. Here's the thing. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Like you wouldn't say this to, you wouldn't say this to him. You probably wouldn't say this to a man. You're looking for a no. reason to say something to this person to get... To bring fame to your name, like, and to, to get the clicks and to drive the traffic. No, it's gross and it's dumb. I wouldn't give somebody, like, this attention in public or in private. Well, it's not for me. And that's what kills you. It's like, it feels like, I don't know. It's the same thing I feel all the time. Who am I to ever police anybody's, like, opinions about themselves? Like, this felt like somebody, like, you would, this guy would never have written this article if it was about Dr. Joe Biden. He wouldn't have said shit, right? For sure, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and it just feels like an opportunity for somebody to, like, try and be a smart ass or feel like they're explaining do that mansplaining kind of thing or whatever as far as the wall street journal uh, put this article out no, i guess it's a thing. i don't know wall street journal just didn't i don't know did you read the article it was a tough read yeah it, it didn't really have any substance on it uh the nice part about this is i mean the, out of touch editorials is one of the great things legacy <laughs> newspapers are good for out of touch editorials. uh by the way the name of this retired english lecturer who sparked such an uproar has been dropped from his former Northwest University website, where he was actually an honorary doctorate, not actually, he never really earned. Oh no, boo boo, like cancel culture, it's top. <laughs> yeah, uh, hated it. Hated the story, one of my least favorites of the week. All right, what else going on this week? Let's do something else. Uh, have you seen earlier this week that the Federal Trade Commission, this is from NBC News, has uh, is suing to break up Facebook. Uh, this is from Wednesday, asking the federal court to force the sell-off of assets such as Instagram and WhatsApp as independent businesses. Mm. Uh, Facebook, they claim, has maintained its monopoly position by buying up companies that present competitive threats and by imposing restrictive policies that unjustifiably hinder actual or potential rivals that Facebook does not or cannot acquire. Mm. So what what are your thoughts about the monopoly Facebook lawsuit here? Uh, Anything that is bad for (laughs) Facebook is good for me, for society at large, for human consciousness as an evolutionary (laughs) happenstance. So I'm into this. Send him to the moon, bury him under the jail, all of it. Yeah, good. Uh, Keep going. Attorney generals from 48 states and territories are said to be filing their own lawsuits against Facebook, reflecting the broad and bipartisan concern about how much power Facebook and its CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, have accumulated 
on the internet. Would you say that Facebook is probably still the most important social media site connect uh, uh, of Yeah, I mean, I think you, yeah, Facebook and Google. Yeah. Google as yeah. an entity is pretty powerful as well, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's the worst. I hate it all so much. <laughs> Uh, well, here's another one for you from the sports world. Oh, folks are going to be mad. Oh, yeah. Uh, after more than a century of use, the Cleveland Indians have decided this week that they will change their franchise team name. They will keep the nickname through the 2021 season and change in the 2022 season. Mm, do they know what they're going to change it to? Uh, no, not yet. There's a list of potential stuff that we'll go through in a second because okay. there's a few. Um, I mean, it's probably overdue. I guess like mm-hmm. they they did go back and change like the Chief Wahoo stuff in the '90s because that was really some of the most offensive For sure. stuff. I always thought kind of that Indians was such a broad term that they would have gotten away with it. I'm a little surprised that Cleveland did this before, say, the Chicago Blackhawks or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? So I mean, even even cynically, wouldn't you want to be seen as proactive if you can read the tea leaves? No, well, for sure. Well. I just think because my thoughts are like, I don't know. Is this, this is gonna sound so stupid? Cleveland Indians had, like, a movie written about them. They've had a couple, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like people know them as... The, it's such a weird thing. Yeah. To, I think no, it's... I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's not a real reason to not change it. And I, mean, I know that's just, silly. We, we just remember that, like, everything, you know, eventually everything will be 100 years from now. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so that'll be... I, I will have a harder time not calling them the Cleveland Indians than I did referring to Washington as the Washington football team. True. I kind of think that's also a thing that's on the table. They're sort of talking about just Cleveland baseball team. They should just call their team Cleveland Rocks. <laughs> All right. The Rocks, just Cleveland Rocks. All right, so here are... Uh, let me see if I can find... Oh, come on, where'd it go? They had a list earlier of some of the names. Uh, some of the ones I saw were the Cleveland Rockers, because of, obviously, the mm. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm. Uh, and then the other one I saw was the Cleveland Spiders, which apparently has some... Spiders. The Spiders. Hey, come on. I thought you was all right, Spider. Uh, <laughs> I thought you was all right, Spider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Spiders, I think, has some sort of historical connection to, like, an older team that played there back in yeah. the day. Uh, I wish I had the the list, because there's a bunch of other wild ones on if there. If you're trying to come out strong with some new logos and branding, you could do worse than the Spiders. I feel like you could do a lot of really cool logos with the Spiders, a lot of cool, like, mascot design stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Spiders, well, there is famously a team called the Spiders, but they're like a college team. I mean, they don't want to, like, go on. the Vipers. Oh, we're with the Vipers. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Oh, man. All right. Uh, That was just for me, I think. Uh, Literally, just you and Michael Imperioli. All right. uh, This week's I'm Done With This Guy, very special, exciting one. Uh, Kev, the lead singer of your favorite band, Trapped. Oh, oh, I, you know... What do you know about this guy from Trap before we dig into this article a little uh, bit? I know that... I, I know. I know. Uh, after... <laughs> what's going on. Uh, the band Trapped has had a lot of issues on social media over the last few months. Uh, they've had a lot of blowback for their support of Donald Trump. Uh, they've gone on a lot of pro-Trump rants at the start of the pandemic. Uh, but also, earlier this month... The guy from Trapped seemed to go on a podcast and defend statutory rape? Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. And really, like, double down, sort of, like, being, like, whatever, you don't understand. Like, just, like, really. Uh, And that seemed to be the final blow before Facebook and Twitter finally banned Trapped, and they've been moved off to the the dark netherworld that is Parlor, which is the only place you can go if you want all their misogynistic, racist, creepy, rapey nonsense. 
Uh, yeah, I, I you can go look up the information, but he just came off like the worst human being who's ever lived. So is it is is Trapped just a guy? I always thought Trapped was a band. It is, is a band. Just one fellow, the way Skrillex is just a guy. No, it's a band, but it seems to be this oh. one particular gentleman from the band, their front man, uh, I see. Chris Taylor Brown, which is uh, yeah, there you go. Okay. So there, they've been future endeavored to the dark hole of the internet. So uh, the internet, much like us, is done with these guys. Mm. Man. I mean, been done. Uh, yeah, what's the... <laughs> It's true. Uh, this week's big energy segment... Uh, I'm sorry, the Diego Maradona big energy segment goes to a Peoria artist. Well, sort of. This Peoria artist was looking for a man who commissioned him for a mural that he was doing on a building in Adams Street earlier this, uh, this month. The local artist said he met the man named Nate who hired him to paint a mural on a business and offered him uh, more than what he was asking to do it. So he's thinking he's getting a good deal. Mm. He meets the man twice. First, he meets the man to drop off the paint in the first half of the payment. And then again, he meets Nate again to give him the final piece of the payment when it's done. However, he starts getting phone calls from the man who owns the building, who is not named Nate. <laughs> turns, <laughs> it turns out some guy just paid an artist to do a mural on some guy's place pretending to be the owner. Hmm. <laughs> It's like some, and it's like some Soviet picture that just says like, uh, "Peace land and cookies" in Russian with like a big dude like roaming around with like the Russian style artwork. Strange. Yeah. So I mean, it seems he paid him his money to do it. Mm. So this guy paid somebody to do a really elaborate prank on somebody else's business. It's illegal. You shouldn't do it. But man, I like. I kind of respect the energy to come up with this plan. I can't imagine spending extra the money for. <laughs> This guy's, uh, there's there's more. There's something <laughs> going on. There's a context this guy has. There's something we're not privy to. And also, in what feels like a closer to home uh, for this guy, Diego Maradona, big energy segment, a couple of U.S. megachurches earlier this week have rebranded as strip clubs in an attempt to avoid lockdown procedures. <laughs> uh, they're making it a family-friendly strip club in which they, quote-unquote, strip the devil of his hold, power, and authority over people's lives. You get uh, it? You get yeah, it? Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so big energy to these guys yeah, as well. It. All right. That's it. Let's get into this week's interview. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the marketing and PR specialist of Griffiths Institute, Shay Brown, who's a uh, who's quite a firecracker. She's excited to be here. Uh, great conversation. We talked about a lot of stuff, specifically uh, the Innovare Advancement Center uh, that they are doing at uh, at the Griffiths Air Force Base, which makes collaborative space for people of all around the world to work on collaborative digital ideas and concepts. Really cool stuff. Uh, so let's get into this week's interview right now. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm good. Can you hear me? I can. I can. Uh, so I should have told you this on the on the DM before we got on here. 
because I'm very bad at technology, which is something you'll learn very quickly, uh, we're already recording. That's all right. That's good. That's smart. I would have done the same thing. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to have you on the pod. Um, and again, uh, folks who don't know, Shay is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Shay Brown is the marketing and PR specialist at the Griffiths Institute? Correct. That's awesome. And how long have you been there? Um, I've been there for a year and almost five months. Okay. Very nice. Um, Shay, I don't know if you had a chance. I know we talked a little bit before this, but uh, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the show beforehand, but if not, uh, typically we break this show down into three segments. Uh, first is about you, where you're from, where you, your background. Uh, your middle section is about what we're currently here to talk about today, which was the Innovare Advancement Center, which I'm really excited to talk about. Did I say that right? The Innovane it's Italian. So just I am Italian. I'm not sure whether I should enjoy that or be offended. That's okay. We're happy to, and then of course our last section is our lightning round questions, which we do with everybody who's been on the show uh, since the beginning. Uh, but Shay, I guess let's, let's start uh, at the beginning. Well, at the very start, we'll go a little bit about you. Shay, where were you? Uh, where are you originally from? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Um, actually, um, I was raised in Sherburn, New York, which is about an hour southwest-ish of Rome. Uh, so I am local to the central New York area, and I've basically lived here my entire life. Mm -hmm. So Sherburn, uh, I'm going to do my research here on on you while we're talking. So Sherburn, you're talking about a village. So we're talking. What's your population? About five. 4,000 people, 5,000 people, probably. Maybe at most. That might be peaking it, honestly. That's that's probably too many. <laughs> uh, well, the only it's reason the I middle of nowhere. It's, it's uh, a farm town. It's definitely the middle of nowhere. Um, and, and you know what? That's okay. That's what actually makes Central New York beautiful. Um, I don't know how much you know, but historically speaking, Central New York was actually known for its dairy and its dairy farming. Um, and, and that's something that's very common in Sherburn and in that area uh, of New York anyway, in general. Well, the only reason I ask is, you know, I, I grew up in, in Utica, so I went to like the largest public school in, in, the, in like the county. So my question is, and I've always heard people on both sides of this argument, did you like growing up in a smaller, more, I wouldn't, I don't want to say insular, that's the wrong word, but a smaller, more tight-knit community, or did you sort of like long for the big city at an early age? Um, I would say there are pluses and minuses to both. You know, and I think it just definitely depends. I think the things that I didn't necessarily like about growing up in a smaller area uh, can be addressed and changed and evolved into something where people like myself feel more comfortable in those kind of environments. And that just has to do with education and access and resources and making sure that smaller towns have those kinds of things. Um, were, you, uh, were you an only child? Do you have brothers, sisters growing up? I'm the youngest of four. Youngest child. I'm also the youngest, so I, I feel you on that. It's fun, right? <laughs> well, did you get away with everything? Because I got my sisters are both. I'm gonna. They're gonna get mad that I say this. Both my sisters are significantly older than me. They're gonna be so mad that I said that. Uh, but because of that, by the time they got to me, my parents were like, "Yeah, you, you'll be fine." And, and I'm the only boy, and I know that that I don't know if that's weird, but we get different freedoms than you guys did. 
Yeah. No, you know, I, I do understand what you're saying. Um, my two eldest brothers actually were significantly older than my sister and I. And so things were definitely different when we were kind of like round two. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah, my parents did definitely address it differently. I don't know if I necessarily got away with more things or if it was just, you know, just a different teaching method at that point for my parents. And I think that's really more of what it was. What, uh, so where did you go to high school then? Or did you go to, did you go like, is, what does Sherburn's high school fall under? Like, who, where did you go? Sherburn Earlville. Sherburn Earlville. Okay. That was the one I, so sure, is Earlville like your like rival neighbor community? <laughs> it's um it was its own school uh yeah. for a while and uh and then because it's so close to Sherburn uh you know in in the way that uh funds from the government begun to be allocated it was better to have uh smaller schools kind of come together and Sherburn kind of was a centralized location uh there's a small town also called Smyrna uh Columbus New York also those kind of areas which are all towns that surround it kind of centralized into Sherburn uh and that helped with a lot of funding elements for uh obviously that area and you know that's just kind of a benefit when it comes to smaller places and uh when did you so you did the Sherburn Earlville thing for for high school I'm sure you enjoyed yourself did you were you like an athlete were you a drama club kid what was your what was your scene back then um actually I was a I was a clean athlete absolutely mm -hmm. um soccer was my number one uh, uh that's what I played all the time. I actually uh, traveled all up and down the East Coast from Florida, being in the Disney Showcase tournament, all the way up to Maine, being in wow. a lot of tournaments. Yeah, I was, it was very big in my life. It was my thing. I'm a big time soccer fan, but I'm also, uh, I'm 30, 34, 34. I'll be 35 soon. Uh, but I didn't even get into soccer until my late twenties because I was living in New York and I was working in restaurants and a lot of the guys that I, I liked soccer, but these are the guys who like taught me how to play soccer. So I, it was one of those things I wish I had liked in high school when I was young enough and athletic enough to actually do it. I mean, that's the beauty of soccer is that it is kind of a very inclusive sport and that there are lots of different levels at which you can play at. And, and it is more accessible than a lot of other sports like, oh, like lacrosse, which can be very expensive or tennis, also an expensive sport, you know, so that's, that's kind of nice about that. Where did you, uh, where did you decide to go to for college? Did you go to some larger school? I went to SU. Oh, you went to Syracuse. Ah, and what was your, what was your funny story? No one can see it on the air, but if you look, I have a Syracuse Orangeman tattoo. People give me uh, a, a rough go of it because I didn't go to Syracuse, but I'm <laughs> like, people get real mad at me. I have an old Otto the Orangeman somewhere around here. <laughs> and yeah. Adorable. No, that's adorable. No, and, and that's okay. I Syracuse pride kind of transcends uh, just people who go there because it, it, if I can speak from a marketing perspective, the marketing impact that it has on central New York in general is quite large and it actually reaches all the way to New York City. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's not really obscure. It actually makes a lot of sense uh, oh. for you to have that. Even in, I, I always thought that was funny. It's funny you bring that up because, you know, I, I've lived in Utica my whole life. Uh, my sister went to Syracuse, which is where my first sort of inkling came in. She was in musical theater. But even when I was living in Brooklyn and going to school at Hunter and doing the New York City thing, there really isn't a New York City college basketball school that gets people excited outside of, I guess, I don't know, St. Joe's, which wasn't very good for 10 years. So Syracuse had a really surprisingly large imprint at Madison Square Garden for a long time and all over New York Cavs. I always thought that was really fascinating. 
Yeah. It, it, and you know, if you can get market control, you're going to get interest from wherever there is lacking and they take advantage of it. <laughs> was your major at Syracuse, were you doing marketing? Were you doing journalism? What, what was your major at Syracuse? I uh, studied sport management. Sports management, really? Yes. I was very into sports. <laughs> no, well, that's, um, I think that's really interesting though, because a lot of my kids in high school growing up were, were really obsessed with sports. And I would talk to them all the time. Like, if you love sports, like, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not in the high school basketball team, so you're not going to make the NBA. But if you really like sports, like, there's a lot of ways you can be involved in sports growing forward. So it makes me happy to hear uh, people following a different path into sports. What was the, why did you sort of move away from that going on? Well, I moved away for a number of reasons. Um, and, and one of those really was, what was my impact on the world? And, and that was a huge driving factor for the choices that I made. Um, now, when I studied sports, uh, like it wasn't really like sports, like like training, that kind of stuff. It was really the back end side, like the corporate side of sports. So, you know, the sales and the marketing, the business end, that's really what I was studying. Um, and so I was able to transfer those skills into areas where I, I wanted to make an impact. And, and that's where I was grateful of the opportunity at the Griffiths Institute, because that's what I've been able to do, because it's a non-for-profit and, and we create impact there rather than just trying to make money, which a lot of sport industries do. And I'm not trying to knock sports. Uh, I mean, I love sports. I grew up with sports and everything, but it was just my own moral compass in which direction I wanted to take things. No, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I, I read all the time. I, I've talked to my good friend, Ben, uh, who works over at the Observer Dispatch. And, you know, a lot of times early on, especially for journalists, you know, they, they start off, I want to be a sports writer. I want to be a sports reporter. And those jobs don't exist when you first get there. So they, it's only as you start moving on from your initial thought that you realize, oh, wait, I'm really interested in politics or, you know, civil matters or technology or whatever it is that I start writing out. Sometimes just that sports is sometimes just a good inkling into a larger industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it stems into so many things. And a lot of times we don't even know that sports are, are touching all of these elements, but they really are. Um, in fact, the reason why, you know, you and I connected was because of somebody who was the VP of marketing of sports, Lindsay Mogul, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, th that's, a, that's a great <laughs> just showcase of how everything kind of ends up being intertwined as it is, you know, so it was a good br breakaway for me, you know, it was like a great entryway into the ideas of business and how they work. And it also allowed me the opportunity to learn about myself and what what I wanted to do with my knowledge and I recognized I wanted to make a really big impact you know you don't need to tell me that when you graduated or anything but uh was uh was Griffiths your first stop after college or did you sort of find your way to the Griffiths Institute there was a whole train of directions that okay. kind of ended up happening yeah um you know I I actually started off working in a printing press uh, ah. and that's, that's where a lot of graphic designers start. So, you know, I actually didn't start, you know, studying, I didn't study graphic design. That's all self-taught knowledge. Um, and I started out in a print, print shop. That's where I kind of started to develop my understanding and knowledge in that. And then I kind of broke out into the news realm. I actually went over to WTR 
uh, CNY homepage. Yeah, and, and I was able to incorporate a lot of my digital knowledge at that point, which was really cool because I was on the digital end. So I did a lot of the web work there and, you know, the, the digital marketing on, on like web banners and all that kind of work. It was really cool and interesting. And it was a great way for me to really hone in on what kind of skills I wanted and what I wanted to move forward with. And that also led me to the opportunity of joining the Griffith Institute. Uh, you know, it had me all geared up and ready to go and help them out. So I just want to I want to give a quick uh, inner liar here about the Griffith Institute. You know, for, for many years, uh, I worked for a program I've talked about a million times on the podcast called the Young Scholars Program, which is based out of Utica College. And one of the things we would do every year is we would do the Griffiths. Uh, we send kids to Griffiths for a week long. Uh, it was like a contest that had all different schools and it would be a yearly technology-based imperative, right? So the year we went there, pardon me. Um, the year we went there, it was about computer hacking and it showed kids like a basis and he gave them laptops. It's like, can you figure out what happened in this scenario? And these kids go through and they explain it. And honestly, it was the first time I'd ever really been on the Griffiths complex as an adult. I'd been there a couple of times as a teenager, which I'll get to later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I really... I was surprised at how like open and accessible, and I think for some people, the idea of Griffiths as an quote unquote Air Force base is a little unapproachable to people initially from the outside. Is that something you guys have like, you know, you've sort of taken in to make this place a little more quote unquote welcoming, even though I think that's a misnomer? <laughs> yeah, I think that um, one of the things that I definitely set out to do when I stepped on, which everyone at the Griffiths Institute has always been super game for, which I love. I love, love, love it. Like um, uh, Jen, Jen Sumner has always been such a support uh, system with all of this, is making sure that uh, the brand of the Griffiths Institute and that, that space and AFRL, you know, the Air Force Research Lab that we are That's contacted true. by, yeah, that, that they are actually... Um, accessible, that they're real, that they're people. And within Avari, we've really begun to kind of formulate that into a rhythm and a cadence. And it's really begun to evolve. And it's becoming something that the community is seeing as, oh, okay, this is something that's here. It's not like this, like, gated off guarded area. It's something that is here for us and for this community to build uh, access and resource and economic growth. And that is exactly what the mission is. And that's what the whole Innovari ecosystem is all about. And it's so exciting to be a part of that. Uh, that's a great transition. So why don't we go right there now, the uh, Innovari Advancement Center. Uh, so you can explain to me how I'm incorrect or underselling this. Basically, we're talking about a collaborative space with people around the world to deal with uh, digital issues, technology, like what's the, what is the main focus of what you guys want to do here? Cool. Well, Innovari is an ecosystem and yes, it is international. It's an international ecosystem. We, we include people from all over to come and help and join in the process of building um, technological innovation. You know, that's basically the key, but we also have a focus on community and growing STEM and especially with growing the STEM in this local area, which is kind of brings back to, you know, my passions with uh, the whole, you know, the small town thing, those situation access resource and education that's the whole point of like a big element of Innovari is making sure that people have access to STEM and developing a workforce that that has um, knowledge in areas that maybe they don't have access to around here and we're trying to create um, 
spaces for these kids to experiment and grow. And that's that's a big mission of ours, along with the international partners of, you know, developing these new technologies that seem so out of this world. Uh, quantum has been a huge focus and a huge initiative for us. And we've had some really big quantum events because of it and amazing pitch presentations coming in with these uh, extraordinary quantum research that is like totally game changing, you know, and, and it's wonderful because we offer, uh, you know, grants and fundings at certain pitch contests and stuff like that to help those uh, individuals and organizations and especially academia. That was a big one of ours that we had in uh, late August, early September, grow those ideas. I mean, going back to my earliest uh, days of getting into education, doing student teaching, doing all that kind of thing. You know, even in master's level college courses, this is the conversation that I'm a history teacher and we're still having conversations about why are we not putting more focus into science, technology, and engineering, all this math stuff. And, you know, a lot of it is accessibility, right? You know, I, I worked in public schools for many years. So only, especially now in the times of quarantine, we have now had to double down on digital technology. And it's honestly, it's been a hard, it's been a hard transition. Uh, yeah. but, but these kids are much more adept at technology, even at a low level than we ever were the generation beforehand. They don't always use it for the right things. They're easily distracted, but their ability to pick up technology and their ability to work through systems is much faster and much more comprehensive than my generation was. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is incredibly impressive. Um, we just had an event with Alyssa Carson, uh, who is, you know, she is a young person. She's 19. She's in uh, college now, but she started out doing extraordinary things when it comes to her mission being, you know, the first person to walk on Mars. I mean, she has done incredible things from such a young age. And, and that's just one example. Uh, Times just released a uh, uh, the kid of the year, which is, uh, uh, I may, might mispronounce her name and I apologize for that, but Gentalia uh, Rowe, which she is a 15 year old who has created uh, an inexpensive way to detect uh, iron and lead in water. You know, and she saw this from the Flint crisis and she decided that she wanted to take initiative on that. How many kids out there have that mentality, but don't have access to those resources? And the great thing about, you know, what Inovari does and, and what we're able to give people is we have these camps uh, for, for young kids and we have sponsorships and scholarships available so they can access it even if they can't financially afford it. Uh, and I just want to make a point for people before we get too far away from talking about it. Uh, if you want to go on Twitter for follow the show on Twitter, it's at Innovari Advance is the Twitter site. And you personally are at the Shea Brown. Uh, and then also uh, the Griffiths Institute has its own Twitter. So people can go there. Where else can people connect with you if they want to learn more about the Innovari Advancement Center, if they want to be involved? Where can people go and where can they find you? So if you want, there's uh, there's a website, uh, Innovari.com. Um, is it .com? Oh it's my .org. It's .org. Uh, Innovari.org. I'll, I'll link everything <laughs> out there. Thank you. Innovari.org. Um, there's also the Griffiths Institute.org. You can go there as well. Uh, and there's lots of access, uh, lots of resources on both of those about events, STEM camps, and there's also internship opportunities, which are actually open right now. Um, 
uh, for AFRL 2021 summer internships with the research lab that we are contracted by, the GI is contracted by, uh, they're open until January 31st. So people can go ahead and apply if they're interested in that kind of stuff. And they accept people all the way from freshmen to uh, PhD level. And they have a whole range of awesome internships available. So apply, apply, apply. Um, but those are great. Uh, there's also Facebook channels, you know, just search uh, Griffiths Institute or Innovari Advancement Center on Facebook and you'll find us. Uh, there's the YouTube channel, which is where we stream all of our live events, uh, events which is Innovari Advancement Center. Uh, so you can just search that and they'll pop right up. Um, but other than that, there's also the LinkedIn, same things to search for Griffiths Institute and Innovari Advance. One of those LinkedIn people. I think my LinkedIn still says that I'm a waiter in New York. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it still has me living in Brooklyn like five years ago. Uh, thank you so much for being here, sir. We really appreciate it. Uh, I do have some lightning round questions and some lighter stuff, though, if you don't mind chatting us up for a minute before you head out here. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, I don't know. We mentioned this beforehand. We're certainly doing this digitally because of coronavirus stuff that's been going on. Every show we've done digitally. What's been going on for you guys with quarantine? Has it changed your day-to-day -day with the job? Like, what sort of major minor changes have you sort of seen on the work front and on the home front for you personally? So I know that everyone within the Innovari ecosystem has had such a shift in the way that uh, we are operating, you know, because it was basically the launch of Innovari at the peak of COVID, um, which was very, very difficult. But my goodness, uh, the GI leadership, uh, like Mike Westing, Regan Johnson, um, Bill Wolf before he retired, they all took on you know, these incredible challenges and they did a great job of transitioning the GI into Innovare and getting that rolling. And then we had our incredible nice tech partners who have been outstanding when it comes to virtual events. We've had to shift all to virtual events and they have done a great job of being such an amazing support system with getting those underway and creating these amazing virtual events. Um, and just AFRL leadership in general, like, uh, you know, Deputy Director, uh, Dr. Michael Hadick. He is just amazing. He's so fun. And he loves everything about, you know, getting like a change of pace and a new energy to this space, which is what Inavari is creating. And he is so game. And Colonel Lawrence has also been so wonderful about it. It has been a difficult transition, but all the partners within the ecosystem have done an amazing job of working together to make it possible. And I would say that the transition, although difficult and although unique to, you know, not the norm, it has gone in a very wonderful way because of our incredible leadership out there. And I know I'm grateful about that. And I'm sure that other folks are as well. Let's do something a little lighter, shall we? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I did look at your Twitter page. Uh, to prepare for our conversation. And it seems like you are one of these Animal Crossing people. Tell me what I'm missing. What am I missing with this game? Why, why, do you, why does everyone love this game so much? Well, first, I just want to state, I do play Animal Crossing. However, I'm actually more of a COD person. Oh, really? I would not have expected. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm heavy into Call of Duty. I'm a first-person shooter kind of gamer, which is really weird, I know, but it's true. It's funny, I had a buddy of mine um, not too long ago. Uh, he came by and we were playing, he bought the new Xbox, whatever it was. I, I don't know the name of it, right? 
the, yeah. the little one with the circle on it. And he's like, oh, let's check it out, right? And I was like, yeah, all right, cool. And he's like, oh, I've been playing, you know, Call of Duty all day. It's pretty great. And he hooks it up. And I, I just like, I don't, I'm like a nerd. I play Tetris still because I'm 100 years old, right? So I was just getting killed immediately. And I try my best. You know, I'm getting old enough to where if I'm bad at a video game, I'm like, that's okay. And I try really hard to like keep a positive mindset about it. But after like the third game, I'm just like, what the, it's so angry, I can't take it. I think that's fair. COD can definitely, Call of Duty can definitely be a very frustrating game. Um, and it takes time to kind of get into like a rhythm and understanding where, you know, how to secondhand move all your hands. I play PC. I don't play on a, oh. yeah, oh, I, I'm that kind of nerd. I've built my own <laughs> PC to do uh, it. You got, are you into Fall Guys? That was the last video game I got into before my uh, system was ceremoniously removed from my house, which we've talked about in the show before. Oh man, I'm so sorry. That's unfortunate. It's tough. It was not a great time. Uh, but that was the last video game that I got into. And then I feel like it immediately fell apart. Like I got into it because someone's like, oh, you got to play Fall Guys. Like my nephew told me. And then immediately <laughs> it got uncool. So that's my own fault. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't play that one. I will be honest. Uh, I only have so much time in a day, um, <laughs> but I have heard lots of great things about that game. Um, I know that there are a lot of other ones out too right now, like Valent is is the new one or, or whatever. And it's it's like a big fun one. That's kind of like this, the futuristic laser shooting. I'm like afraid to try Among Us because that's all the kids at the schools talk about. And that's all. It's the, is it fun? It's, all right, yeah, yeah. it's fun. <laughs> no, you would like it. It's not a big deal. There's no high pressure involved in it. You I mean, you can play it on your phone. You can play on your phone. It's funny. I went, I've been looking for a new game on my phone for a while. And I went to look at the list yesterday. And the number one game is, you know, it's Among Us. Yeah. And then like within the next top 20, there's like five different Among Us imposters with terrible names that are kind of the same, like Imposterizer, uh, with others. I'm like, come on, dude, this isn't even, you're not even trying here. Uh, <laughs> Shay, before we let you go, can we do a little lightning round questions with you before we let you go? These are the same five or six lightning round questions we ask everybody who's been on the pod. Uh, our first question for you, Shay Brown, marketing and PR specialist at the Griffiths Institute. When you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? Ooh, um, I take it with almond milk and a, a pinch of sugar. Are you lactose intolerant or are you just not into milk? Um, I like to avoid milk as much as possible, but that doesn't mean that I won't have ice cream because I love ice cream. I'm always a little skeeved out by milk. This is like a thing that people get mad at me about. Like I do not care for it. Like, don't give me a glass of milk. I don't want oh, it. Yeah. No, and thank if you. If you give it to me, it better be on the verge of frozen. It better be as cold as possible because if it's ice even cream. a little bit warm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, give me, what was your first automobile? Your first automobile. Oh my gosh. This is a sore subject. I, I just lost it. Oh no. <laughs> no. Yeah. I had a Toyota Prius for oh. 10 years and it was an incredible vehicle. And the only reason why I lost it is because someone ran into me and totaled it. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. I've been in, I have a reputation among my friends and peers for the guy who's been in the most car accidents. So I have the most sympathy. Was it your fault or was it their fault? No, it was their fault. That's what makes it even more sad. It's tough, it's tough. Like well, happy you're okay. I'm, I'm fine, I was totally fine, but my car was not. <laughs> 
it's so weird though you know it's funny to say that because i was i've been i got in a major car accident when i was like 19 20 it was totally my fault it was by myself and the car got totally destroyed and i was fine right like i was totally fine like i walked out of the accident like well okay okay no big deal so i I guess i'm always blown away by how well cars are designed to like take care of humans right like in the in the 30 40 years of technology that we've changed for cars they're wildly safe. <laughs> yeah. Innovation really is is key, you know, and I'm not trying to like just keep yeah, yeah. like pinholing things, but it really it really is so important. Wow, that's that is incredible. Yeah, yeah. I people have heard this story. If you want me, I'll tell you later if you want, but people have heard this in the pot a million times, so I won't I won't put them back to it. Uh, you may or may not have taken your Toyota Prius to see it. What was your first live music event? Oh, um, Tegan and Sarah. Wow, Tegan and Sarah. There's a name I haven't heard since Brooklyn. That <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. That makes sense. Where'd you see it, Sarah? Um, I think it was, it was Rochester. It Rochester. was at Darien Lake. And it was, they were opening up for Pink. Oh, wow. Wait, That's- wait. No, it wasn't Pink. I lied. I'm sorry. It was um, Evermore, Ever... Everclear? No, 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 no. It ever that, long? Everlast? With, with like the red hair. She she was popular and I'm why can't I think of any vitamin C? Pardon? Was it vitamin C? No. <laughs> I can't think of her. I put but, you on the spot. That's all right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hey, listen, that's okay. We we won't hold it again. Paramore. Paramore. Haley Williams from Paramore. I can yes. see that too. If you're that. That makes more sense as a as a bill that would be together. Tegan and Sarah and Paramore. I would be surprised to see Pink and Tegan and Sarah hanging out together. I've been to that Darien Lake. I saw when I was in high school, this will date you. Uh, when I was in high school, I went to see Dave Matthews there. Um, and I remember going to the park in the morning. And as I, this is, gonna, this is a kind of a gross story. We were walking through the parking lot to get to Darien Lake. And we may have had a couple adult beverages. And I stepped into what I thought was a puddle. I wasn't paying attention. We were going through like a field to get over the park. And I stepped in a puddle. Turns out I stepped into a septic hole, like a hole in the ground. And I didn't know it until I was like in the park, walking around being like, what is that? What do I, what am I smelling? Turns out it was my foot. So I had to go back to the, I had to go back to the car and change clothes like an idiot. The worst. The worst. It's very embarrassing. Oh my I know. God, I'm so sorry. That's horrible. <laughs> I mean, this was this was. You should have seen me in high school. This is very on brand for me as a guy in high school. This is right on right on brand. Oh uh, man. This is our toughest question. This is the one that gives people the most uh, stress. Okay. If you could have dinner with any person, living or dead, who is not your relative, who would it be, and why? Okay. I have a lot of people mm-hmm. that I would choose. <sighs> <It's> um, the- <laughs> if I could with anyone, man, why did you have to make this so hard? Uh, <laughs> I can come back if you want a minute to think about it. I have other questions. So if you want me to come you know- back. I'll I'll give a fun answer. Okay, good. All right. Okay. I'll give a fun answer. Okay. I won't make it like super like, oh, look, I'm really cool. I'm going to give a fun one. I would definitely. 
I tell people all the time, do not try and win this category. You don't need to win it. It's just, we're just having fun. (laughs) I would definitely um, have dinner with Lizzo. Lizzo, nice. That's probably one of the more modern people that I've got there. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. See, I feel like with celebrities like that, they're not gonna wanna hear what I have to say. I mean, like, so you're killing no. it. It's about hearing what she has to say and gleaning off of her information and her knowledge. That's that's a great point. All right, I'm gonna, set, I'm gonna set a scenario here for you, okay? Sure, let's do it. You are the WWF women's heavyweight champion. You are walking down to the ring. The crowd is chanting your name. You're holding the title above your head. What song is playing in the background as you make your way to the ring. Okay. It's something definitely by the baby. <laughs> <laughs> no lie. Um, it's probably <sighs> he's in so many great ones. I'm gonna say it's the one he's featured in, which is what's poppin'. What's popping? What's popping? And he's featured in it. And Lil Wayne is also featured in that. It's not his song, but it's a great song. I saw the baby on Saturday Night Live, not maybe last year, the year before, and I felt like I was Randy Marsh in that episode of South Park. I'm like, no, I'm not a fuddy duddy. I'm still cool. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, no, this is fine. I totally get all of this. This makes all sense in the world to me. Uh, one last question. I have two last questions for you, Shay, before we let you go. Uh, give me one book album movie or television show you are currently reading listening to or watching it's another tough one yeah because i love music and i listen to so much music all right i'm gonna give you a new artist i love it Probably nobody, I, I'm a big music person. That's why, as you've noticed, I'm like, Lizzo, the baby. <laughs> wow, I'm, I'm ridiculous. So I apologize for that. No, I love music. It's, amazing. it's so important to me because it's important to understand uh, culture. So there's a new person uh, who I've been listening to a lot mm-hmm. and nobody really who listens to this is probably going to know who they are. They're Lee Sane and it's L-E-S-A-N-E. The same. So give me something like, uh, give me something like it's in the vein of, so I can compare it to something. Like what kind of, what kind of sound is it? Is it like electro? Is it funk? What is it? So they're kind of like a new wave. They're, new wave. Uh, okay. they're emo mixed with hip hop and rap. <laughs> uh, you're definitely younger than me. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I'm from the generation where I was in an emo band but we were from the emo band era that sounded like Blink-182, not the one that sounded like, like from a good 10 years before that emo era, I feel like. I never, had, eye, I never had eyeliner, I will say, it never looked right on me, but I did have the black fingernails. <laughs> awesome. I support that. Well, then you might kind of, you might kind of like it. I would, if you, if you go and listen to it, the one that I would recommend is don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Sounds right up my alley. Nobody Uh, should do drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Last but not least for you, Jay Brown, uh, besides innovation, besides technology, besides music, um, besides marketing, give us one more thing that you are passionate about. 
Um, I'm really passionate about creating change in this area. Um, it's, it's something that has kind of evolved after like the sport management stuff and, and everything and kind of being ingrained in central New York for a long time. Uh, I've really evolved a lot as a person and I've understood that a lot of people don't have the ability because they don't have the access and the resources to it. I, I am passionate about creating social change within this area that impacts people in a way that is really trying to find the right words. Cause I don't want to say that it's all about me creating awesome change. It's about other people feeling really great about the place that they live in and the, how we all address social issues and the way that we communicate with one another and the, the positive impact that that can have on our economic uh, status of central New York. And that's a big one for me because I feel like a lot of people, because they don't have economic resources, they, they miss out on a lot of opportunity for social capital. And that's just not fair. And I want to get people in spaces and, and give them avenues that they can do those kind of things. I wanna see more queer, LGBTQ, trans, non-binary, uh, black, uh, people of color in general in this area excelling and living their best life. That's one of the things I'm most passionate about. What I always go back to when I, when I have discussions like this with people, um, you know, again, I used to work in a high school, public high school, and the kids I worked with, particularly the group of kids we dealt with in our program, were very, very highly diverse backgrounds and very, very low income economic status, right? It was, the, it was sort of a, the crux of being in the program. And what I noticed over the years of having, you know, 250 kids in and out of the rooms working on stuff together is that all of the things that we think about in terms of like, uh, they don't think about how rich or poor they are. And they don't think whether their friends are black or white or Muslim or Catholic or Jewish or whatever. They like teenage stuff, right? All the teenage stuff, all like the camaraderie, all like the community of it is much more important to them than any of the other little tiny minuscule stuff. And that was always what I get good vibes from from teaching. And I, this isn't in every school and every group of kids, but watching that group of kids locally here in our high school, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. This is what the future looks like. And I don't know why everyone is fighting so hard to stop it. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, hard when people do try and fight to stop that. And it's like, but that's one of my passions. So I understand. And thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm, I, I can't help but talk to you. Uh, Shay, it's our great pleasure to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, like I said, folks, I will link everything for Shay, the marketing and PR specialist at the Drift Institute, and everything about the Innovare Advancement Center, which I'm going to do every time from now on. Do it. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Have a wonderful holiday and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you so much. You too. Folks, uh, thank you once again to Shay Brown. Great time chatting her up. Uh, again, innovare.org. I'll do all the links for all the stuff when we're done. Kevin, are you ready uh, for some history lessons this week? What if I say no? 
I mean, you, don't, you can go fill your coffee up if you want. I'm going to still keep reading. It's actually not a bad idea. Get started with that first history question. Uh, on this day, 1773, uh, in Boston Harbor, a group of Massachusetts colonists disguised as Mohawk Indians boarded three British tea ships and dumped 342 chests of tea into the harbor. Midnight Raid, popularly known as the Boston Tea Party, was in protest of the British Parliament's tea tax of 1773. A bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting it a virtual monopoly on the American tea trade. Low tax allowed the East India Company to undercut even tax smuggled into America by Dutch traders, and many colonists viewed the act as another example of taxation tyranny. When the ships arrived in Dartmouth, uh, the Eleanor, the bit, uh, sorry, the three ships, the Dartmouth, the Eleanor, and the Beaver, arrived in Boston Harbor. The colonists demanded that the tea be returned to England. After the Massachusetts governor, Thomas Hutchinson, refused, Patriot leader Samuel Adams organized the Tea Party with about 60 members of the Sons of Liberty, his underground resistance group. British tea dumped into Boston Harbor on the night of December 16th was valued at $18,000. I feel like the Boston Tea Party is like one of the first history things I learned as a kid. It's one of the, like the very... Fundamental. That's one. Yeah, one of the first things they teach you is that the Boston Tea Party was a bunch of looters and rioters and law and order. (laughs) Yeah, is what they teach you. Mm. Oh, is that? I'm sorry. What I miss? I'm back with the coffee. Yeah, it is something they teach you about very early. I think it's it's easy to latch onto, right? It's got a name. It's got a specific incident. It's got like Mm. it's an easy story to package and tell to kids. Like when you've got like children's history books Mm -hmm. where they tell a more cartoonized version, like some basic stories to get you started. It's easy to to work around. You know, it's got a lot of good elements from a storytelling perspective. Parliament, which was outraged by the blatant destruction of the property, enacted the Coercive Acts, Mm -hmm. also known as the Intolerable Acts, in 1774 as punishment. This closed Boston to shipping merchants, establishing formal British military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal persecution in America, and requested colonists to quarter British troops. Colonists, I shall stay in your home! Terrible. What a... (laughs) You there, colonists! Make up my bet. Uh, the colonists subsequently <laughs> called the First Continental Congress to consider a united American resistance mm. to the British. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the fundamental building block moments from, like, American history. And I feel like, uh, I don't know, I, I'm kind of mad that the Tea Party co-opted the name. It's <laughs> sort of annoying to me. I see you. I see you. pissed off about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ooh, here's a topical one. On this day, 1863, Abraham Lincoln announced... Uh, a grant of amnesty for Emile Todd Helm. Uh, I guess it's Emily Todd Helm, the wife of Mary Lincoln's half-sister and the widow of a Confederate general. Mm. This pardon was one of the first under Lincoln's proclamation of amnesty and reconstruction, uh, which had announced less than a week before. The plan was the president's blueprint for the reintegration of the South into the Union. Part of the plan allowed for former Confederates to be granted immunity, uh, amnesty if they took an oath to the United States. Uh, the option was open to all but the highest officials of the Confederacy. Uh, Emily Todd Helm was the wife of Benjamin Helm, who, like the Lincolns, was from Kentucky. The president was said to have been an admirer of him, and when he reached out to offer him a position in the U.S. Army, he opted to join the Confederates instead. Mm. Uh, he led a group of Kentuckians known as the Orphan Brigade, uh, since they could not return to their Union-held native state during the war. Helm was killed at the Battle of Chickamauga in September of 1863. After her husband died, she made her uh, Helm made her way through the Union lines to D.C., where she stayed in the White House with the Lincolns, who tried to keep her visit a secret. Uh, after Lincoln granted her pardon, uh, Emily Helm returned to Kentucky, but again, one of the very first people to ever receive a presidential pardon. 
Uh, super topical in the next with what's going on. You'll be hearing more about pardons. What are your thoughts on that? We haven't really talked about it because it felt like we haven't done a lot of Trump stuff. This. What are your thoughts about him pardoning himself, quote unquote? Uh, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of interesting question as to whether or not that's something that, that can, can be do. done. You know, there's a lot of like a lot of theoretical legal jargon talk about whether yeah. that's possible, and a lot of opinions about what that actually means and how it would play out in a in a courtroom setting. Um, I you know I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. You know, I feel like with all the different crazy things that are possible in today's day and age, I don't cross any crazy bridges till we get to them. Yeah. On this day, 1977, here's a crazy bridge. Uh, Saturday Night Fever debuts. The Golden uh, Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> in the 2008 interview with BBC's Radio 4, Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees confessed that he only made it through the first 30 minutes of the premiere of Saturday Night Fever and has never seen the rest of the picture in mm. the decades that follows. More than I've seen uh, millions of Americans did, however, making it through the film that made a movie star out of then 23-year-old John Travolta and propelled the already famous Mr. Gibb, along with his brothers Maurice and Barry, to a level of superstardom rarely achieved before or since. Uh, let me ask you this question. If they asked you right now, whose career could you have? The Bee Gees or John Travolta's? You're taking the Bee Gees, right? Uh, I feel like I would need a closer look at the books. <laughs> I feel like my I feel like I'd always Depend, rather it, well, because I, here's my thing is the, the Bee Gees come from a time when um, it was a lot more likely for artists to get screwed on their publishing and royalties mm-hmm. like if you told me that one of the Bee Gees died broke I wouldn't really be surprised mm-hmm. you know what I mean one of those kind of things uh, so I would have to see but all, I mean always music over acting I'd rather be a musician than an actor any day well let's take a look at Travolta's uh, filmography for a second because I kind of have an argument that this might be his apex mountain you might have to shoot me down from it Okay. Because a lot of people will say Pulp Fiction, right? No. No? You don't think so? I mean, they, they might, but yeah, no. Pulp Fiction was a redemption because he had already kind of fallen off the planet. Mm-hmm. This was the moment, right? Yeah. He's in Carrie. He's in this. He's in Greece the next year. Yeah, is it not Greece? Apex Mountain for Travolta? <sighs> is this more seriously respected than Greece? Not even close. You don't think so? Saturday Night Fever barely has a plot. It's got three songs and one dance floor scene. It's not even a movie. People don't like the movie Saturday Night Fever. People like the soundtrack and the scene of him dancing on the neon light on floor. Grease as a movie, people know every single song from it. People act it out. High school children act it out at their schools. Yeah, I guess you're right. It's probably Grease. Saturday Night Fever is the Bee Gees song. So this run, Carrie in 76, Saturday Night He's Fever. He's not even the biggest thing about Saturday Night Fever. The Bee Gees outshine yeah. him in that movie. Grease, Urban Cowboy in 1980, which I've fucking love that's the thing too you're on like the skewed ironic scale where stuff is yo yo Urban Cowboy shout me out people who've seen Urban Cowboy Urban Cowboy is a a trip it's (laughs) and then you get like a weird run Blowout Staying Alive Two of a Kind Perfect The Experts and then 8990 he does Look Who's Talking Look Who's Talking too. that's like kitty movie career trough right right now Look Who's Talking is a movie that people really like I think in hindsight but did they like it then Who's to say? I don't remember. I mean, I was a kid. I liked it as a kid. I thought it was yeah, cool. Yeah, but like I, didn't, I wasn't reading box office receipts when I was... Then you get Pulp Fiction, and I was thrilled with, I'll go through some of the hits, see if anything on here does it for you. Phenomenon? No. Michael? No. Broken Arrow? Nope. Mad City? Nope. Face Off? Nope. She's So Lovely? Nope. Blasphemous, by the way. You blew past Face Off. Uh, Thin Red Line? I forgot he was even in that. Yeah, I don't know. Primary Colors? No. No? No. Uh, Battlefield Earth? No? It's all you. <laughs> Swordfish. Nothing. Austin Powers and Goldmember. Nothing. 
He was in The Punisher? Nothing. Come on. Oh, wow. Nothing. Anywhere. Ugly. Gotti. Yeah. Gotti in 2018. Was so it was like straight to streaming, wasn't it? No. <laughs> and then 2019. He's barely a movie star. He's not a movie star. He's the most popular Scientologist. Him and Tom Cruise. Like the, he's he the can't second. Even win that. Tom he's Cruise. The second most popular Scientologist. Okay, uh, let me we're, go. We're done with Travolta on this podcast. We're, we're done. All right. Boom. <laughs> uh, and let's do. Uh, I have one more serious one. I get. Yeah, I have one more serious one because I do want to talk about the story about this. Okay. Okay. So on this date, 2012, uh, December 14th. The Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newton, Kentucky, Adam Lanza killed 21st graders and six school employees before turning a gun on himself. Earlier that day, he killed his mother at the home that he shared. Uh, Sandy Hook shooting was, at the time, the second deadliest mass shooting in the United States after the 2007 shooting at Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to dig into all the details. There's a whole breakdown of everything that happened. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? You can yeah, yeah. dig into all that. You know... I think of all the the weird conspiracy stuff that I see in the world, I see like you know the the QAnon folks and the you laugh at the flat Earth people and all that kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. The Sandy truth, the Sandy Hook truthers was a particularly vile strain of that for me personally. Yeah. I always found that to be like the lowest of the low for me. Yeah. Uh, and the reason I say that is because I worked in public schools for so long, mm -hmm. and I just want to share with you folks a quick story about this. And maybe I've talked about it before, but you know when you work in a public school. You have a little orange uh, card. It's in every classroom, at least in every school I've ever worked in. It's an orange card that has all the procedure for what to do if you're in the case of a lockout and a lockdown. There's two different mm -hmm. procedures. And I'd have to pull the sheet up in front of me to go through every single detail. But it's all pretty standard. You have to yeah. put the kids in the corner of the room where you can't see them through the window in the yeah, door yeah. or from the windows. You have to turn all the lights off. You have to lock the door from the inside. You have a special key as a teacher that locks your door from the inside that only you can use, right? Every teacher in the districts I know has this. Sure. Um, and then you have to wait to be released by police officers. You cannot answer the phone. You cannot answer anyone who knocks on the door unless they you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. respond to be police officers. So, And you have to run this drill pretty, pretty regular. I'd say twice a year in most public schools. It could be more than that. Correct me if I'm wrong, teacher friends. And, you know, what happened is over the last, I don't know, last five years, this happened so often that the kids started treating it like a fire drill. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, is this sort of, like, like ugh, really? I gotta, like, yeah. I gotta stop working on my paper now because of this? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of funny, but also very sad, right? <laughs> it's it, it, it falls under that great many things in life where we laugh at it and about it, yeah. but the, the core of that laughter is protection from the deep, deep yeah. sadness of the situation. Yes. And I always go back to this one particular moment. It's a great story. I had a kid in middle school, great kid, and really funny. And he was telling me, and they're asking me questions. It was just me and like four kids in the classroom. We were in the lockdown. It's, you know, they'd run their lockdown drills. Sure. And the kid says to me, you know what I would do if somebody came in here? And I go, what? What would you do? And he goes, I would take my phone and I would throw it across the floor behind the person. And then I would have someone call my phone. And then when the person turned around, I would, you know, I'd disarm them. Right. And, I was, and I was like, don't do that. Don't. It's a terrible plan. But I thought, I was like, I appreciate the effort, right? Mm -hmm. And the kid said, and one of the kids asked me one time, like, what would happen to you? Like, what do you do if someone comes in? I'm like, I protect you guys. Mm -hmm. They're like, what if something happens to you? I'm like, I, 
All right. I mean, it's part of the job. I think, I, like, I think you kids know the answer. And you know the answer to that question, right? And one of my kids said to me, don't worry. I have a bulletproof backpack. And I said, that's cute. <laughs> no, you, you know. He's like, no, I'm not joking. I yeah. do. And I was like, I got here, really? And sure as shit, he oh, yeah. opened up his backpack, and there was a secret compartment in his backpack with a certificate saying that this backpack is blue. The whole back of the thing is like a Kevlar back wow. of the backpack. I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, what hard truths for these kids to accept in middle school. They're like, oh, yeah, I have this backpack that might protect mm. me in case somebody comes into school to shoot me because I'm different than them. And like, as we get older, I think you, ah. I think you forget how easy it is for kids and how resilient <sighs> kids are in a lot of different ways that we... Uh, Abilities for resiliency that we lose a bit as we become adults. Stunning. It's stunning. Uh, I'm morbidly, I'm like, I want to be like, uh, I told him if I get shot, I'm going to be like the Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan. Be like, uh, make it worth it, kids. Do something good with your life. <laughs> or just be a YouTube celebrity. Either way, whatever you want to do. It's all fine. Right. Uh, but yeah, hard truths. I hated it. Hated it. So mm-hmm. there you go. All right, let's do some, uh, let's do some lighter stuff and then we'll actually head out because we're getting a little bit later than I thought already. All right. Really interesting report this week. I love this. My favorite report of the week. This is uh, this is from the international. Uh, I'm sorry, Iowa State University uh, did a report this week about cognitive decline and how diet impacts cognitive decline in human beings. Okay, mm. now I'll give you. There's a really interesting article. You can go to Iowa State's website and read it. But I'll give you the four most significant findings from the study. Okay. Okay. Hit me. Four. Excessive consumption of salt is bad, but only individuals already at risk for Alzheimer's disease may need to watch their intake to avoid cognitive problems over time. Huh. Okay. Number three, weekly consumption of lamb, but not other red meats, was shown to improve long-term cognitive prowess. Huh. I like lamb. Right. Very nice. Number two. They say anything about the white sauce, the rice or anything? <laughs> they did not. Number two. The daily consumption of alcohol, particularly red wine, was related to improvements in cognitive function. Mm. And number one. Had that red wine with the lamb. Number one. And perhaps the most important thing we'll say all day. Cheese, by far, was shown to be the most protective food against age-related cognitive problems even late in life. Mm. So if you don't want cognitive problems, cheese, wine... And lamb. That's a beautiful spread. And just cut back on the Not salt a little bit. Not too bad. What a deal. seasoned lamb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah, you're not supposed to have the salt. You shouldn't put the lamb in the meat cone. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> I don't think you can. Uh, so if you're looking for some good news, you go to Iowa State University's website uh, about research and check it out. Yeah, there some you go. Some good news for the world. Oh, cheese. People like that, though. Uh, some bad news for the world, the little doomsday report for you folks. Earlier this uh, this week, it was announced that water futures are set to join the likes of gold and oil and trade on Wall Street for the first time ever. Uh, this is probably because we're going to be running out of water sooner than no. later. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, for as much as like we'll make a joke about it and all it's doomsday or whatever, it probably won't be us yeah, necessarily, but a lot of people uh, certainly Hmm. Certainly, and yeah, it's very bleak. Uh, anybody who saw the movie The Big Short remembers the very last, like when they're doing hmm. the scenes at the end of like what happened to this person yeah. in this real story, and they talk about how Christian Bale's wild character, uh, the only thing he invests in trades in anymore was water futures, hmm. and that movie came out what, six, seven years yeah. ago now. So, 
Uh, this means yeah, people who buy, uh, buyers of the contracts who uh, who hold on through expiration won't be greeted by delivery of millions of gallons of water like they would for other commodities. Uh, whatever, it's not important. Again, very sad though that water has joined oil and gold is one of those things that we should uh, start being a little more stingy with, right? Because we, unlike gold, mind you, we kind of need water for uh, yeah life, mm-hmm. all the living, for all the things, all the things. All right, let's move on. Uh, oh, I want to talk about a great moment earlier this week. Uh, and it's soccer, so you're going to have to bear with oh, me for a second. You snuck uh, it right in. I know. Uh, earlier this week, during the first half of a Champions League play-in match between uh, uh, Parisian soccer team Paris Saint-Germain and Istanbul uh, Basakshir, which I had to write down phonetically so I could get that right. Ah, I see. Uh, they walked off the pitch during the first half of a Champions League game in response to an allegedly racist remark made uh, by a member of the Turkish club, uh, made about a member of the Turkish club's coaching staff. Apparently, the Romanian fourth official... Uh, so the I, referee. The referee from the game essentially identified an assistant, Pierre Webo, a former Cameroon striker, to the referee uh, when the alleged comment was made. He was talking uh, and essentially said, that black guy over there, go check who he is, that black guy over there. To which Weibo responded, when you were talking to, uh, you never said this white guy, you just said this guy. So why did you mention my name? And And it became a really kind of uncomfortable scene on the field. Mm -hmm. And then in a really jarring moment, both both teams, PSG and Bisexier, walked off the field in protest uh-huh. uh, and left the game and did not play until this official was replaced. They ended up playing the game the next day with a new set of officials. Um, I mean, I think it's a really stirring moment of solidarity between these athletes. And I, and I know people get mad to stick to sports, Colin Kaepernick, all that shit. Sure, sure. When you have a platform, right, you can set the tone for how you're supposed to respond to these things. I think for other soccer leagues around the world, for other soccer players, for other athletes, for young soccer players around the world, for for all their fans, for sure. you have set a, a beautiful example that, you know, we will not stand by why part of our family and our team is being is being, you know, offended or accused and attacked, right? Like that's terrible and we're going to support them. Well, and furthermore, we're not even, you know, we're not going to do the tongue in cheek. Oh no, I didn't mean it. Like, oh, it was just no, I didn't mm-hmm. say anything. Oh, I was just joking. We're not even doing that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like we're just not going to entertain it. We're not going to I I always I, I always get a kick out of seeing people, uh, you know, take their platform and use yeah. it for something. So, uh, cuz I think mean, cuz I wish I had more of a platform, right? Like if I was <laughs> Like, I look at what, you know, different people who are pro-athletes do for their communities, for mm. giving back, for, like, Make-A-Wish Foundation, all this stuff. Mm. I wish I had that to give in those situations. So I yeah. love to see people take advantage of it. And, you know, good for them um, and good for them on the solidarity as well. So Let's yeah. talk about Disney World for a second. Okay. This is a much less serious story. Uh, <laughs> Disney World is unsurprisingly de- determined to, like, make sure that people are wearing masks during their visit. But you know how, like, when you go on a ride, you take the picture at the end of the ride and you get the picture? Yeah. Apparently, Disney has been covering people's faces with masks when they take their masks off for the photos. Mm. So doctoring on masks on people in the park if there are photos taken of them without a mask on. Makes sense. Now, their argument is they want... They don't want to make people think that if they take the mask off of the picture, they'll get their picture with... I mean, like, they don't want to encourage people taking their masks off. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it gives the wrong message, because wait, because it's like if people are here without masks, you're just going to cover it up so we'd never know anyway. It's a weird thing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> it feels strange about it. Yeah, it can be uh, It can be two things, for sure. I don't know. 
I feel like the digital thing is very strange. They got the technology though. They got these Disney folks. They got all the money. Yeah, <laughs> they do has, have. They certainly have the money. Yeah, it's meant to discourage people from taking off their masks for the sake of the mm-hmm. pictures. I get it, but I feel like uh, I don't know. It feels I very both clandestine. get it, and that's also a great PR line. <laughs> yeah. Both of those things are true. I understand what they're mm-hmm. saying, and I also commend their PR department. Uh, here's here's one that I, this might be my favorite story of the week. It's from BBC News. Uh, earlier this week, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church uh, came down and said that yoga and yoga practices are, quote, absolutely incompatible oh my God. with the Christian faith. Get a, get a life. <laughs> what are you, what? We don't uh, have enough real problems, Greek Orthodox. Mm. Come on. It said it intervened after Greek media recommended yoga as a way to combat stress during the Stretching quarantine. Stretching and breathing is too much for the Lord. Do you want to know why? Why? Oh, you ready for this? Please. Yoga is a fundamental chapter in Hindu religion and is not a kind of physical exercise, they said. So they think it's Hindu indoctrination through, oh. yo- through yoga. So the Greek Orthodox Church. This is why. Merry Christmas, You're not guys. helping yourselves. <laughs> I understand you know, Greek Orthodox is a little different, than, but still. That's yeah, true. No, no. Dumb. Big dumb. Uh, speaking of uh, evil people, uh, the Zodiac Killer. Remember him? Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently. Ted Cruz's father. <laughs> Ted Cruz's father. Uh, the Zodiac Killer Cypher was cracked by amateur codebreakers more than 50 years later earlier this week. Have you read about this already? No, I haven't. Okay. So apparently, uh, the codebreakers have helped uh, unravel the hidden message uh, this is what the message says. Uh, be sure to drink your oval teen. That's uh, uh, a crummy commercial. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's a joke. Uh, it's a joke. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You uh, want to hear the real text? This is what they say it says, okay? I'm over the zone. <laughs> ruined it all. A crummy <laughs> commercial? Come on, it's Christmas. Uh, so this is the, the text. I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. This wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I'm not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I know now that I have enough slaves to work for me. What? This is the Zodiac. That last part was me. Oh, uh, God. So there you go. That's what they've deciphered 50 years 50 later. 50 years. That's what you got. 50 years. Yeah, it's like Al Capone's vault. You, you would have liked it better if it was the Ovaltine. You guys were mad about that. I don't know. Ah, uh, listen. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's do a mailbag question and get out of here for this week. How's that all sound? Right. Oh, we got to do Spotify stuff too, but all right. Oh, that's true. I'll probably pull, pull mine up, see what I picked. All right, mailbag. Maybe I picked early in the morning, so now I don't remember. So, by the way, mailbag questions. We are getting to Christmas season for next week. If you folks mm-hmm. have made it this far in the show, send me some Christmas-themed mm-hmm. mailbag questions, holiday-themed mailbag questions, Hanukkah for all my Hanukkah friends. Mazel Tov, by the way, February celebrating Hanukkah. Mm-hmm. All right, Kevin, your first mailbag question today. Yes, sir. What is the best flavor of pre-shredded cheese to eat straight out of the bag? Oh, man. Um, I feel like I have to note that I don't think anybody should ever buy pre-shredded cheese. I was going to get there, so I'm glad you brought ever, it up. Ever, ever. Yeah. Um, I don't think you should ever buy it because they put the protective coating on it, the preservative, to make it last longer. Not like, oh, don't eat preservatives. Come try plenty of preservatives. But it doesn't melt properly. It makes it not melt and that go is down correct. into... A sauce or like a mac and cheese or that kind of thing. Um, that being said, I, you can't you can't beat the mozz. Anything else is yeah. you know what I mean because you can't get like nice cheese in pre shredded and 
You never notice the difference if it's like a provolone or Italian blend or Mexican what? blend, whatever the taco hell that Taco blend? Is. I was going to say taco blend. I like yeah, a little no. taco blend. I don't want to eat that cheese out of the bag. No, not, I find it to be gross. Oh yeah, it's not for me. I will, I say that, but I would eat, I will go cut a hunk of cheese off and eat it like a candy bar because I'm an animal. So, or or like, break that into pieces, yeah, or like, yeah, you know, you something could. like that. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about pre-shredded cheese. Yeah. It only takes a couple minutes to shred cheese. It's not very hard, although, you know, someone brought this up to me and I'd never thought about this. Mm. How long do you think we've had that box grater that's in the kitchen? Good long time. It's probably dull. Yeah, probably relatively. There's really no way to re... Well, cause you, but what do you... It depends what you're using them for, too. Like, I'm not shredding a ton of carrots on that one or something. If it's if it's mozzarella cheese, I don't know. it's I, pretty soft. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm mashing stuff on there. I give it a little, like... I, I think maybe... I bet if I upgraded the box grater right now, it would make a discernible difference. Treat yourself difference. for Christmas. Give yourself a little discernible cheese grater. Discernible difference. Right here, folks. Send Sam a cheese grater In for our Christmas. lives. Uh, all right. As I mentioned, last uh, just random mixtape mm-hmm. for the year before we get into Christmas and year-end wrap-up. Kevin, uh, what tracks have you chosen to share? Oh, what tracks have I chosen? Let me see what I'm going to share. Oh, they're mixed, so i got to remember which ones are I did mix them all up in classic fashion. I see, I see. Um, So I'm going to highlight. I threw on um, Crystallized by the XX. Hey. Uh, The classic first XX debut album. I was listening to that a little bit earlier this week, and it got stuck with me, and it sort of... One of those albums has been around for so long that you forget there was a time that mm-hmm. it was new. Oh, yeah. And it had been so long since I listened <laughs> to it that it felt a little bit new, and I was yeah. having the vibe. Um, and also, I threw on, um, what was the other one I wanted to talk about? I heard the song Airstream Driver by your boys, the band Gomez. <laughs> if you remember the band Yo, Gomez, Gomez. that one song, they uh, Airstream Driver got suggested to me on like one of the Discover Weeklies on something yep. on Spotify. Yep. And I had that reaction. I was like, oh, Gomez, that's funny. I remember this band. I listened to it. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. So that's on there as well. I kind of confuse him with Guster sometimes, and I like Ooh. Gomez better than Guster, yeah, yeah. I think. I think. I'll go back and do the list. No, you definitely do. You right. remember the song the second you hear it. Uh, did you have another track, or is that it? I, got, I mean, I got. I picked six tracks, but right. those are the two I'll highlight. I got, uh, I got two. I got a song called Barnacles by the band Ugly Casanova, mm. which is one of those weird moments when I was looking through tracks, and I heard this track, and I was like, oh, this is really cool. And then found out the track was way older than I expected it to be. I was like, oh, Always this is an not... interesting surprise. Yeah, yeah. This is the lead singer of uh, Modest Mouse doing some other thing. It's mm. like his, his band, second oh, band. Oh, okay. That's cool. I, yeah, so also very confusing to me because I was like, oh, he's got a new band? He does not. Mm. Uh, and then also just one of my favorite hip-hop tracks of all time, Shadow Boxing mm. by the Jizza featuring... M E T H O D man. M E T H O D man. Um, All right. That actually that inspired me. I saw that because you made your picks before mine. That inspired me to throw a bitch don't kill my vibe yeah. off the classic Kendrick Lamar album, Good Kid, Mad City. Because I was listening to that album a bit too, because I kind of forgot. Nice to go revisit some of your favorites sometimes. You know oh what yeah. I mean? Oh yeah. And again, Christmas tracks for next week. I'll actually share the. Oh um, yeah, we'll get wild with the Christmas tracks. I'll share the list with you earlier in the week so you can think about yeah, it. Yeah, you some want time to think about it for sure for Christmas ones. All right, sign our humanoids. Keep it tight. Want to shout out to uh, Shay Brown again from uh, Griffiths Institute and the Innovare Advancement Center. Uh, shout out to Heather Waz, uh, our love. I was texting we her. We miss you. We were texting during the your ceremony. We both think you did a great job. Oh, well, we thank you. you. Did great. I tell, you know what was funny about that? We got to see everybody on the <laughs> screen before anybody could see us, and we were just listening, and it was nice to see so many friendly faces on there, for sure. If Mark and Jill have made it this far, we have said nothing but nice things, but I definitely had, like, three separate 
text message conversation threads with people I was on the Zoom with, mm. right? So it's like three people that I'm like sending text messages to on the Zoom independently mm. of each other, which is a, my favorite little life hack when people are on Zoom. I was kind of hoping that they were going to put me on camera so I, I could too. do the gym helper looks at the camera <laughs> and various things to, all, to I mean, all the... Your brother and I were really disappointed. That's all I'll say. I bet. <laughs> I bet. Right. Uh, sidearm humanoids, keep it tight. Woodstock lives. You can uh, catch us on Spotify, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Stitcher Hive. Stitcher Hive. Uh, that's it. We're taking over the web. Uh, sign our humans. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. We will see you next week for another episode of the Uticast. Oh yes. That's not the right computer. <laughs>